This Dharma Talk was presented at the Austin Zen Center in Austin, Texas. For more information, visit austinzencenter.org. Good morning. It's uh, really lovely to see people. And uh, over the past two weeks, I've had a, uh, a both a hard and, and soft gradual re-entry after being away for uh, eight weeks on a leave that began with our, uh, our snowy week here in Austin and um, ended at the annual meeting that we had just a few weeks ago. So I can say that it is good to be back. It's, uh, I feel a little rusty, I have to say. I feel there's some, there's some rustiness around, I don't know about you, but the, the, the format that we've been meeting under for the past uh, 15, maybe 15 months, maybe less, is is still to this day really challenging for this one. <laughs> and I've been reflecting on why that is or what the what the elements of that are. And um, when making the decision uh, to go forward with, especially taking advantage of this amazingly cool, breezy springtime weather, to make a decision to, uh, you know, open the door to in-person practice as safely and as uh, inclusively and openly as we can, that gives me great energy. And I know that many people have found that being online is an amazing opportunity to not have to travel, to not have to drive somewhere and get into a car, burning fossil fuels to get to a center, and so there's definitely some real pros uh, to this kind of practice. But recently I was reading um, some Zen stories, some koans about exchanges between, you know, it could be exchanges between a teacher and student or two students or two teachers, right? Just travelers on the path together. And reading some of these exchanges, I actually <laughs> wondered, wow, what would this look like if it were carried out over Zoom? <laughs> and uh, many of them, just, they just wouldn't work, <laughs> but it's a new format. And we have, uh, we are well-practiced for many of us are well-practiced in uh, meeting together in this format and in this space. However, we are at that point, I believe, where we're starting, we're able to start to make a little bit of forays into returning to practicing our practice body to body within community, sharing the same space. And so today I wanted to talk a little bit about the, the role maybe, or the importance of silence. And not the silence that is like everybody's muted. <laughs> That's not the silence that I mean, because everybody here I think is muted except for myself. And that's, um, that's not the same kind of silence. <laughs> I'm thinking of the silence that 
when you enter into it's like the when you enter into the zendo there's silence but it's not um it's not like there's no sound right there's lots of sound and not even sound but like how our perception our how our six senses come together right a smell entering the room is 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 uh, inclusive of the silence and yet it's not the silence of nothingness right and when you think about um you know the space of silence what what is um there's like a potential energy within that silence. It's not a dead end silence. It's not a nothingness silence. And I think this dovetails quite nicely with what we say and how we describe and how we practice with um, emptiness and our concept of emptiness because they're not the same, right? Emptiness and the concept of emptiness are very different. And while you know, it's very tempting to say, oh, just get rid of your concepts. You know, in Zen practice, I believe we're not trying to get rid of anything. It's rather, how do we incorporate? How do we allow for? How do we make space for what is? You know, whatever it is that arises, how do we make space for what is? And the best way to make space is to open ourselves to that silence. So I wanted to start by reading um, an excerpt from Hongzhi, one of our ancestors, who is, uh, there's a book, which I highly recommend, called Cultivating the Empty Field. It's translated by Taigen Dan Layton, who's in Chicago. And Hongzhi is one of our ancestors, and this is what he says. This is entitled The Guidepost of Silent Illumination. Silent and serene, forgetting words, bright clarity appears before you. When you reflect it, you become vast. Where you embody it, you are spiritually uplifted. Spiritually solitary and shining inner illumination restores wonder. Dew in the moonlight, a river of stars, snow-covered pines, clouds enveloping the peaks. In darkness, it is most bright, while hidden, all the more manifest. So I'll pause there. While hidden, all the more manifest. And so this hiddenness, last, uh, last night, I last night, we had our Earth Day ceremony out in the front yard last night? No, the night before last, we had this Earth Day ceremony where we chanted an excerpt from the Mountains and Waters Sutra written by Dogen Zenji, the founder of uh, Soto Zen in Japan, uh, one of our ancestors and founders. And it's pretty perplexing when he starts talking about mountains walking, mountains flowing, you know, and maybe the geologist in us says, oh, well, of course that's the case. But that's kind of like packaging something up into our understanding, which um, our minds are, you know, 
designed to do. That's kind of what we do when we try to survive, right? We try to assess things into, is this positive? Is this negative or is this neutral? Meaning I don't have to worry about it, right? If it's positive, then I should go towards it. If it's negative, I should get away from it. And if it's neutral, I'm just kind of confused <laughs> or I don't really know, right? So before that space where we've divided the world into buckets, there's this space before our thoughts, right? And in that space in between thoughts, the vastness there is one that nothing is known. There's nothing but potential. What is this? This wonder that Hongzhou brings up is allowed to blossom within that space. Now, you all, we are all familiar with when we have a, a concept about something that clicks and it makes sense. And then when we watch what really closely, when we watch what happens, and I would say that the watching, the open awareness to what, what is this, that question, this wonder, this curiosity, that question is what is um, born out of the silence. Imagine you're you know, sitting in meditation and you've got monkey mind and it's jumping all over the place, trying to figure this and that out. Maybe it's not even like trying to figure anything out. Maybe it's just daydream. Maybe it's on a vacation, <laughs> right? It could be doing all kinds of things. When all that dust that gets kicked up from our monkey mind, generating thoughts and grabbing onto this and swinging over to this branch. And what about that branch? And you know what I mean, right? When that's allowed to come to a, a stillness within that silence, nothing is known. Nothing is there to grasp onto. It's just pure potential. And that's where the wonder of awareness uh, is allowed to arise. So if you think of the difference between something like awareness and thinking, there's a huge gulf. And we see this when we sit, right? When we sit down, we, um, you know, ideally we are, uh, we adopt an intentional posture. It could be uh, cross-legged in a zendo. It could be sitting in a, you know, a cozy chair on the beach. <laughs> Danger there is you'd fall asleep. But there's an intentional posture of hopefully a posture of, of some kind of uprightness, even if it's lying on the ground, right? Or standing upright. There's a, there's a way in which, oh, the integration of body and mind comes together to be experienced and be known within the moment, not for some future purpose, not carrying over from the past, but just right here, right now. And when we occupy that space, it's very different. And it just, you know, you maybe even close your eyes and imagine that you're sitting in the Zendo and imagine reflecting back maybe with some memory of some of the things that you experience when sitting facing a wall, when other people are in the room, all endeavoring in the same way to tap into that silent illumination. 
all the information that comes through our senses, right? Not through thinking, not through our uh, trying to, again, put things into buckets or have a name to name things, but more like this vast space of like, what is this? I don't need to know. I don't need to come up with a, oh, this is what it is, because we all know what happens when we come up with that answer, right? It kind of cuts off the questioning, right? When we come up with that answer, we can move on with our lives and not think about it or not be aware of it any longer. So how, when we are sitting, especially I would say sitting in community, this is where we get to rub up against each other. Somebody comes into the Zendo and they, you know, start coughing. Ooh, what's that going to be like? You know, I think we've, for the past year, we've, we've been really attenuated to the sound of coughing. So like, what comes up in my body and my mind? And rather than thinking about it, oh, that person, da, 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 da. Like thinking has this very propositional uh, aspect to it, right? We're thinking about something. We're formulating statements that have a truth value. This statement's true. This statement's false. That's all thinking in the realm of thinking. But awareness, what is awareness of all of the events that are happening through all six, six senses, right? Through the skandhas, these aggregates that make up what we consider our psychophysical kind of selves. What are all these things that are happening without having to come up with a judgment about them? That's the invitation that all of us participate in and actively practice when we sit zazen. And furthermore, not just sitting zazen, but very, very important, when we get off the cushion and we move into our ordinary daily life. Now, I don't know about you, but it's very, very easy to get off the cushion and then suddenly be launched into like, okay, how am I gonna plan my day? And this, 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 this needs to happen and planning and strategizing and trying to be efficient and all those things kind of come up as um, they kind of, they can flood in, right? And that's where, you know, awareness and noticing and being able to, when that happens, to take a pause, to take a step back. Next weekend, when we meet for this um, outdoor sit and, uh, and work day, and I encourage people who, if you don't feel comfortable coming in to, uh, you know, being around people, if you haven't been fully vaccinated or you are, whatever your reasons are, I encourage you to just come and come and sit in the morning, you know, online. And then do a little bit of your own silent work practice at home if you can. And the silent part is really important. <laughs> the the being able to come together and really know one another without content is something it's a rare gift right? I don't need to know anything about Sherry. <laughs> For example, when she hands me a rake and says, you know, 
and, and indicates like this is the area of raking. And we, we might be working alongside one another, right? And I get to deeply know Sherry in her sherryness <laughs> without exchanging words. You know, it may, there may be no words. Our normal way, I think, is to want to get information. And so when we get together, we may ask people, you know, in the social circumstance, we may ask people, um, you know, what are, the, what are the main questions when we first meet somebody? What do you do for a living? Right. <laughs> Maybe if you're really, you know, adventurous, you might ask what their political affiliation is <laughs> or, or any number of things about the person. Where are you from? What do you do for a living? Like all these facts about, and then, and then we think we know the person, right? But there's another way of knowing that comes through the awareness without thinking, right? The opening ourselves to what is it to cut this, this, you know, this carrot along, you know, across the table from somebody else who's cutting a carrot. Right? I get to know somebody just by the way they move their body, where they, you know, take the carrots that they've been cut and place them into the bowl of already cut carrots. That motion, even just the simplest motion of moving one thing from one place to another, to be doing that with this open-heartedness, it's indescribable what, what knowing is in that, in that uh, experience. But there's something deeply profound about that knowing that we don't necessarily get when we are, um, you know, sh just sharing content about our lives. Right? The, um, <clears throat> let's see, one more thing I wanted to continue here with Hongshur. When wonder exists in serenity, all achievement is forgotten in illumination. What is this wonder? Alertly seeing through confusion is the way of silent illumination and the origin of subtle radiance. So there's this, when we sit or when we sit in, in stillness or we get up and go into movement, right? Still holding this silence Sometimes people get uh, pretty uh, agitated with the sign. They want to fill the silence. They want to know something. They want to know what to do next. <laughs> I want to know I'm on the right track in my practice, right? And so oftentimes people will go and ask a teacher or a peer, right? How do I know what I'm doing? What, how do, you know, am I doing it right? What about this? How do I know I'm doing the right thing with my life, right? These questions can become, you know, pretty big. And a lot of times when people come to see, uh, well, just speaking for myself, when people come to see me, there's some of these bigger questions of like, <laughs> tell me what to do. Tell me what to read. Tell me what to, uh, you know, what, what particular techniques I need to be applying in my meditation practice, right? Um, I think this happens in Zazen instruction as well. I think the, uh, the Zazen instructors met recently 
and t talked, I believe. I heard a little bit from a couple of people who were in that group, but this kind of question of like, what is it that's being offered in Zazen instruction? Is it a checklist? No. <laughs> I mean, it might be like, okay, here's some things to, to land on, right? Here's some suggestions, helpful suggestions that you're welcome to discard if they're not helpful, right? About how to find your posture and build from your the base of your posture all the way up to your crown chakra or however I mean, people talk about it in all kinds of different ways. And there's a lot of variability in Zazen instruction, which is why we encourage people to do Zazen instruction with mul multiple times, not just with multiple people, but with the same person. Because I can say when I offer Zazen instruction, it's never the same. <laughs> I mean, there may be themes, right? But each time a different expression kind of emerges from my, my uh, this mouth. <laughs> this mouth produces different expressions and physically too. Sometimes it's, you know, I may focus on one thing or another, but there's some pretty basic things, but then this question, and I know this question came up of how much, how much do you, uh, how much instruction is, is needed. And then at one point, at some point, how much instruction may be too much. And this is something that, um, is maybe particular to Soto Zen, although I think Rinzai Zen has this too. Pat, are you, uh, this is true in Rinzai Zen as well, yeah? There's a lot of space, spaciousness. And that spaciousness kind of feels to, especially to a beginner, but not, not necessarily to a beginner. I can say I have been meditating for a long time, <laughs> 34 years, I think I've been meditating as a regular practice. And I feel like I have to still be a beginner. I'm not an expert, right? Because everything changes. This body and mind are changing, even more so with menopause, but <laughs> that's another story. <laughs> This body and mind are changing always, even if we don't think that that's the case. And we kind of have this thought of like the real me and why am I not like the real me, right? We carry this thing, this kind of expectation or this um, grasping, really. We carry that grasping around with us. And when we enter into a space for that's, that's, allowing, not just allowing, but encouraging this silent, you know, stepping back, stepping back so that the silence basically frees us from our conceptuality, which binds us. Not to say we get rid of conceptual, good luck, <laughs> good luck getting rid of conceptuality. It's when we fixate on conceptuality and believe that to be the truth as opposed to our direct experiencing of this moment, unadorned with concepts, actually. Because when we come in armed with our concepts, the world is so partial, right? We chunk things up and then we, the temptation is that we, well, we already know that, so don't need to no, don't need to wonder about it very much, you know, because we already know it. 
also want to talk about this um, this wanting to be of benefit. Just the other day, somebody uh, somebody said something to me that just thanked me. Somebody thanked me, and I, I felt appreciated. And it was quite nice to be thanked. But the thank you was around like thank you for for holding the community together during this pandemic. Yeah, and internally the thought that I had was I don't feel like I've done anything like that showing up yes but my uh all of my intensive zen training <laughs> all of it uh was was person to person body to body and so I apologize uh I feel like I need to apologize um for my, um, there's some heel dragging on my part and some actual just being perplexed, completely perplexed of how do I meet? How do I engage mediated through the screen where visually I can see people, I can see expressions and there's, it's better than, you know, maybe not. But there's something about like, maybe it's the exchange of molecules when you're in the presence, the physical presence of someone. One of my earliest teachers, Tia Strozer, she was uh, at some point, she was the Anja, which is the personal attendant to Katagiri Roshi, who was her teacher before he died. And he, um, I believe he ordained her Maybe he was about to ordain her and then he died. Anyway, she was his Anja. So again, she took care of his personal, uh, his personal needs um, as opposed to his formal. So there's like, usually there would be an, an abbot. I think he was the abbot of Minnesota's end center at that point. But she described this situation where this really struck me. She's an attendant, which means that she's there to kind of help him attend to, you know, uh, I don't know what what various needs. I was the Anja once uh, at Tassajara. I was the personal attendant to my teacher, Paul. And he was kind of, you know, self-sufficient and didn't really want me to do anything. <laughs> so he had me, you know, he, he was like obviously making up things for me to do because he had to, because I kept showing up and saying, what would you like me to do? So he was like, well, why don't you go draw some monkeys? <laughs> and that's what I ended up doing. I, I ended up drawing a bunch of monkeys. And so it was really, he wanted, you know, he wanted to present a kind of a calligraphy at the end of the practice period. It was the year of the monkey. That's why it was the monkey. But he just sent me to go draw monkeys. And so I spent hours day after day just kind of practicing these drawing, drawing these monkeys for this, you know, this thing that he wanted to create. Um, you know, and I'd go in and be like, you know, well, do you need your, you know, so a lot of Anja work is cleaning bathrooms, dusting, turning down the bed at night, and then putting it away in the morning, making tea, making cookies, you know, all those kinds of things that are in service of, um, you know, so for example, the abbot would, would have tea, would have people over for tea. And so making the tea for the, for that occasion or making the cookies and snacks. Right. So Tia described this time when she was serving as the Anja to Katagiri. And she said that most of what she did as, you know, in terms of so-called serving him, 
it was just being in his presence. And she said she, you know, one of the fondest memories she has was just the simple act of having tea together in silence. No words exchanged, just, you know, the slow, careful attention to pouring, to creating the tea, making the tea, allowing it to steep, you know, the careful handling of the teacup. And she said that, you know, one time she just, you know, she made the tea and, you know, he great graciously accepted the tea and he was just sitting there and gazing outside the window. And she sat there and gazed at him, gazing outside the window, and he gazed outside the window. And she said this went on for some time, but the feeling of, like, when I say wonder, it's not like there's a wonder about something. It's more like just the space of absolute, just like openness and peace. Even amidst strife, I would say, finding when you tap into that silent illumination, nothing needs to be taken away from it. So even when there's strife and you're feeling maybe irritated, I can't tell you how many times that with my own teacher, Paul Haller, I felt, you know, snarky, unseen, angry, just like, what's wrong with him? What's wrong with me? <laughs> there's, there's a lot of strife there, but emergent through that, right? This is ordinary life. And this, I think, is, you know, I think my main point that I want to say today is that is what Zen is. Zen is ordinary life. And it's not ordinary life in the sense of um, walking around in a haze. Um, which you know, may, may end up be what, what happens from time to time. But it's more like a turning towards this question of what is this life? Right? This curiosity or wonder doesn't need to be you know, starry-eyed. It's actually, it's a very quiet thing. And I think we all, myself, you know, I confess, have the tendency of wanting to like over explain things to people, which maybe I'm doing that right now in this talk. <laughs> However, I'm trying, I'm, I'm attempting not to, but I'm trying to point at something. There's a, a funny, it's a funny perplexing as koans are that I wanted to share on Yunmen, one of our uh, ancestors, Yunmen's enlightenment story, which I'll read to you. When Muzhou heard Yunmen coming, Muzhou was his teacher, he closed the door to his room. So Muzhou heard Yunmen on his way over and he closed the door to his room. So Yunmen knocked on the door. Muzhou said, who is it? Fully knowing who it was. <laughs> Yunmen said, it's me. Muzhou said, what do you want? Yunmen said, I'm not clear about my life. I'd like the matter, the master to give me some instruction. Mujo then opened the door and taking a look at Yunmen, closed it again. Yunmen knocked on the door in this manner for three days in a row. On the third day, when Mujo opened the door, 
Yun Man stuck his foot in the doorway. <laughs> he thought he was going to get an angle on this, right? And Mujo, when he stuck the foot in the do- when Yun Man stuck his foot in the doorway, Mujo grabbed him and shook him <laughs> and yelled, "Speak, speak!" And then when Yun Man began, when he opened his mouth, he began to speak. Mujo gave him a shove and said, "Too late!" <laughs> and then he slammed the door, catching and breaking Yun Men's foot. At that moment, Yun Men experienced awakening. So, can you imagine that exchange happening between a teacher and a student over Zoom? <laughs> I would love to hear after after some time maybe passes. I want to hear you know the various Zen teachers out there coming up with their their fresh kind of contemporary koans that, that include online you know uh, participation. <laughs> Because I think I think they would be fantastic. Um, they, I'm not sure they'd come with me from me, but <laughs> so this wonder, where everything, nothing is settled in a sense, and yet everything is, everything is included, yet nothing is settled in that space of silent illumination. There's no opinions that need to be grasped. There might be a question, you know, questions may arise. Why is this person irritating me so much? <laughs> why, why does that particular person's, you know, habits around this, that, or the other thing, why do they, they rub me the wrong way, right? Without the need to come up with an answer, just allowing for the question to percolate up, And then without thinking about it, just being aware, something magical happens, magical or mystical or beyond our understanding. Something is allowed to shift, right? When we open the question and we don't turn away from the question, it's like no question is off limits. That's one of the things about this space, the spaciousness of this wonder you don't have to be enthusiastic about it. You can even come to this wonder kicking and screaming, which I will admit that I have, you know, uh, I have done. This ha- this past year has been incredibly challenging for me personally. Um, I think I've experienced things I've never experienced before, like panic attacks. I- I'd never had a panic attack. But the through this time, and I think, you know, and of course, I've, I've got my theories about what it, why, right? But there's something that is, um, maybe it's in community. I know that we had uh, uh, last, maybe it was last week, Jess brought up this thing about Sangha and, and Sangha being difficult, right? Yeah, Sangha can be very difficult. You know, you, the, the song is a beautiful way of bumping up against one another, um, especially if you have a diverse sangha, right? Having a diverse sangha is such a gift. You have different people with different ideas, different backgrounds, different ways of thinking about things, different ways of solving problems, right? Because that gives us that opportunity to bump up against one another 
Zen training and Zen practice is really hard in this way, it can be really hard. And uh, I think sometimes people think of it as, oh, this is the um, this is the place that I get to go and peace, kind of peace out, right? And who doesn't want to find peace, peacefulness, and through peacefulness to have allow insight to bubble up, right? It's hard to find insight when you're amidst agitation, right? And normally we want to get rid of the agitation, but again. We were, uh, Pat and I were reading the other day. We, had, we met yesterday and we were reading some Bodhidharma together. And Bodhidharma said something like, um, and I don't have it with me, something along the lines of, you know, the three poisons of greed, hate, and delusion. This is the, it's, it's like, this is the food, right? That Bodhisattvas eat. <laughs> he didn't say it that way. This is my words, but it's like, it's like this is the food that Bodhisattvas eat. And, and chew, and it, you know, when you eat food, it, it becomes transformed, right? It's transformed into energy. So greed, hate, and delusion are the very things that we work with as human beings that get transformed into, and I think what Bodhidharma was saying, they get transformed into the practices of sila, right? Sila being morality, ethics and samadhi, which is concentration, and then prajna, which is wisdom. And it's only through working with these poisons, right? Our reactivity, our opinions that hold us back, that hold other people back, right? When we open up our hearts and our minds to allowing those things to come in as our teachers, that transformation is allowed to happen. Jakusho Kwong, uh, who is one of Suzuki Roshi's, um, well, he's not Suzuki Roshi's student. He's a friend, I guess, good friend of Suzuki Roshi. He wrote, accepting things as they are. So you, we've all heard this, right? What does it mean to accept things as they are? Well, he says, accepting things as they are is a loss. Being in the moment is a loss. What are we losing? Our self-centeredness, our self-clinging, our ideas, our conditioning. We are also losing ourselves to the sound of the crickets to the sound and feeling of the zendo as we sit. And when we know how to do this, to really lose, then we know how to be really alive. Such a conundrum, something that oftentimes we need to be dragged into. We can't know this unless we practice it. Hearing the words of ancient masters, you know, reading them on a page, it's, it's like a, just an invitation, right? It's like, hey, take a look at this. Take a peek under the covers of the fabric of the universe and try this on for size. But then it needs to actually be, you know, stepped into, entered into, right? And we do that in different ways. Sometimes with a fierce determination, 
sometimes we say, I am not going to move. And this is, this is great practice, right? When we enter into a Zendo and we sit, we ask people, you know, try not moving. Don't move. Your leg starts to fall asleep, pay attention to it. As opposed to our, you know, more usual uh, reactivity where, oh, I'm starting to feel an ache, I need to move and we move. If we go through our life with that kind of, you know, uh, re-engaging in that, that reactivity as a habit, what are we cultivating? But when we have that invitation and when, you know, which again, this invitation uh, really helps when wonder and curiosity are, uh, you know, are, are shepherding that invitation. And when that wonder or that curiosity exists, we can let go of the idea of achieving something, right? We can let go this, this loss that uh, Jakusha Kwong is talking about, this feeling of loss. It's this loss of clinging, right? In a way, it's a loss of uh, security. It's a loss of safety. It's a frightening place. It can be a frightening place as one would imagine when one is nearing the end of one's own life, which I want to read a um, something else about loss. This is a Rumi poem, it's called Love Dogs. Anyone heard of this poem, Love Dogs? Yeah? <laughs> One night, a man was crying, Allah, Allah. His lips grew sweet with the praising until a cynic said, so I have heard you calling out, but have you ever gotten any response? The man had no answer for that. He quit praying and fell into a confused sleep. He dreamed he saw Kadir the guide of souls in a thick green foliage. Why did you stop praising? Because I've never heard anything back. Hmm. How often have we been in that spot? I've been told that this would be helpful and I'm not finding it helpful. <laughs> so Kadir responds, this longing you express is the return message. The grief you cry out from draws you in towards union. Your pure sadness that wants help is the secret cup. Listen to the moan of a dog for its master. That whining is the connection. There are love dogs no one knows the names of. Give your life to be one of them. How do we invite that? into our lives. It can take the, um, not that this is the reason to do it, right? The reason to do it is for pure joy and playfulness, right? Because in some sense, what else are you going to do? If you stop something because you feel like it's not um, producing something for you, you know, that's, that's, we do that all the time. 
But how do we return to that question, the open-ended question of um, what is this? This is a Zen question. What is this in my life? This experience, this longing, this feeling of loss, entering deeply into all of these feelings, what comes out, what, who are we? What are we when we come through that and come out the other side again and again, right? There's, not, there's no end to this. There's no end to this inquiry of stepping into um, difficulty, challenges, something not feeling right, but really paying attention, not by thinking, <laughs> but by opening ourselves to the awareness without having to categorize. I mean, we might end up, you know, there's a very common practice in, especially in Vipassana practice of noting, right? Noting is an interesting thing because you, you, you're all familiar with noting, right? You just kind of like something passes along the stream of consciousness and you just note it. You might even come up with a label. The labels I would say aren't necessarily the, the helpful part but it's the note, I mean, they might, they might help you kind of recognize that you're noting, right? But the, the key part is to note and let go, right? To just note and let go and let it percolate, right? It's like things leave a trace and then we let go of that trace and the new moment arises. Hongzhou says to find a Buddha, all you have to do is see your nature. Your nature, your nature of greed, hate, and delusion, turning into sila, samadhi, and prajna, your nature is the Buddha. And the Buddha is the person who's free, free of plans, free of cares. If you don't see your nature and run around all day looking somewhere else, You'll never find the Buddha. And then of course he, he ends with truth is there is nothing to find. So when we, um, when we have the opportunity to come together again in person, which I hope that people um, sign up and come and maybe if not next weekend, then uh, some other time, soon. I think um, we on the practice committee are in the process of talking about some of the logistics of reopening the center to the public. And how we do that is going to be, um, I think of it as being kind of uh, non-formulaic, but but with some formulas like as benchmarks, right? So taking in, synthesizing the information that we're getting from our membership, from people who, um, you know, who are just kind of asking a lot. <laughs> when can I come in for a Dharma talk? When can I come in for a, uh, you know, for a work day? When can I come sit? You know, I'm vaccinated. When can I come in? right? 
these are these are huge questions and questions that Zen centers, not just Zen centers, but organizations all across the world are going to be asking. So just to say, I'm really curious about what uh, what all of you uh, feel and think and wish for in all of this and considerations. Uh, it's all, you know, I, I tend to be a synthesizer, right? And uh, wanting to know lots of different, you know, strands and then letting it kind of all be. <laughs> and, then, and then themes emerge and those themes kind of coalesce. And then it's like, well, what about this? The, the thoughts of like the what ifs come. And from that, um, some options fall away easily. Some keep coming back around. But through all of this, um, coming out of this really challenging time. Maybe it's not challenging. Maybe, I mean, I think some people have not found it terribly challenging. They've had no significant losses and they've decided, well, actually, I really like being alone all the time <laughs> and, and not having to get out of my pajamas to go to work. <laughs> um, and then some people have really struggled. And I, I don't think that we really will know the impact and the effect completely until we start taking the steps back into what maybe we can consider to be an ordinary human life that allows for ordinary human interactions. Thank you for your practice and for your intention. And is there anything anyone would like to say, comment on, ask, express? Yes, Pat. Thank you for a wonderful talk. What you said about silence just, um, just uh, rang so true for me. And I was just thinking about how so often when we speak to each other, we close doors. You know, I mean, it's just inevitable that when you use words, you're going to close doors. And Oh, just sitting in the silence in the zendo, it just feels like there's this big open conduit between myself and others in the zendo, and or even on Zoom sometimes. But I, I don't know. I just, uh, I, I just loved your praising of silence. Was, I found it so useful myself. And of course, it's important to eat the greed, hate, and delusion too. So. Uh, <laughs> And so we can grow with that. So anyway, thank you again for a great talk. Thank you, Pat. I just to say, like I'm not a naturally silent person. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I'm really not I'm like a spastic and and all over the place and very chatty and um, you know very guilty of someone who kind of fills the silence, you know, without even thinking that that's, you know, what I'm doing. So my confession. Yes, Dave. Hi. Um, I just wanted to take a moment to express my gratitude for all the teachers and community members. Um, even though I don't talk very much because <laughs> I get a little shy um, in these groups. 
Um, I've been attending a lot over the last uh, year, 14 months, and have felt like I'm a part of the community and um, part of the community. absorbed a lot. And I appreciate that. Thank you, Dave. I want to mention that, you know, we have uh, the people who have been uh, really partaking of the online offerings. I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you for showing up. And there are so many people who have contacted me over this past year who have not shown up, like even maybe once on the online uh, or online events. And, you know, for, numer- for many different kinds of reasons, the number one reason that I've heard is I'm on Zoom all day long and the last thing I want to do is get on Zoom, right? And I will confess that if I were not a teacher at the Zen Center and I was just a regular practitioner, I probably would never show up on Zoom myself. Like, I find it really odd and, and um, um just, just noticing how much that, um, how much is revealed in interpersonal reactions without having, you know, speech. Whereas this really, you know, um, focuses on, you know, seeing and and speaking and the content of things. But um, I had a friend in at Tassahara who. She and I, you know, we did, we talked to each other sometimes and we, you know, we like to study together, but, um, but one of the things that we used to do, um, if one of us was sitting on a bench somewhere, like maybe even after the, you know, after hours, after the, um, the fire watch would come by and like clack and tell people to turn their lights off. Sometimes one of us would be out sitting and the other one would walk by and we had this, uh, this kind of, um, tradition maybe it became a tradition where we would just stop and sit with each other you know maybe for just like five minutes we wouldn't say a word right this is a silent time too uh and it wasn't because we were like rule followers and we're like oh it's a silent time we shouldn't speak there's something about just like oh look you're there and i'm here and let's just sit and and we'd sit on the bench you know with the creek flowing beneath us or and just like look up at the stars and there's something about having that shared experience with one another in full, like there's this full, like upwelling of appreciation for one another, you know? And I feel like um, just the other day when we were doing some of the preparations for the Earth Day ceremony, a few, was, a few of us were out and we were, you know, we were talking, um, but even, you know, though we were talking, there's something about just being in physical proximity doing something and we in this case we were unraveling ropes and so it was um uh something that was a a mindless activity but it was engaging nonetheless but just being together in that way um there's a nourishment that that comes that that and and you can be shy you can be gregarious you can be whoever you are you can show up and and be there you know you can have a nervous tick (laughs) <laughs> you can be tapping your foot or you know, all kinds of things. And it's like, um, there's no expectation that you need to be a particular way in that. I'm noticing that Mary, Mary wrote, the Buddha of the immediate encounter is not within nor the word nor outside on the road. It is the 
between of I and thou. Who is that, Mary? Yeah, there's a book about Zen and Martin Buber's book, I and Thou. Mm-hmm. And this is a derivative quote from it. <laughs> but I think it touches on that. It. It's the in-betweenness. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's the enlightened activity of being with. Yeah. Yeah. It's like my, my teacher, Tia, being with Katagiri and just the delight of just you know, again, it's just like that these minor things, they're really small, just seeing somebody hold their teacup and that being an expression of complete awakening, just how one holds, it's not, it doesn't need to be profound in this sort of like intellectual way, right? It's very subtle, yeah. soft. It, it, the inner being is much more salient when we're not processing it through this separateness of image and language that's conceptual. So when all those dimensions are there, the inner being Mm. is more, more salient. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not like the, the conceptual stuff is just, is like gone completely. It's just, that's not the focus. Yeah. That becomes, that recedes into the background. And yeah. the immediacy of the present moment is what's in, you know, what's alive. Yeah. Shuli, I see your hand is raised. Yes. <laughs> I just wanted to say hello to a few of you. Uh, I'm back. I was up. Uh, I was up. Uh, away <laughs> a little bit, a little bit uh, d- difficult time I passed. Uh, many things, uh, many things, few things happened, not, not bad at all, but uh, I had to, I had to stay away. Family, I uh, hit my head <laughs> and uh, some kind of like, uh, you know, kind of like depression I was going through, but I was missing you, all of you. So I'm back. Uh, <laughs> uh, I like this silentness because most of the time, probably, when I, st- I like to talk a lot, but this is a good reminder <laughs> because also whenever I want to say something, maybe I get misunderstood. <laughs> so it's better practice for me. I'll keep that in mind. All this reminder, I appreciate again uh, hearing. Uh, and then um, a lot of things are coming back again, the work and the family, maybe some are traveling, but I would try my best to hear you guys. And as much as I can <laughs> in the evening or morning when I can, I'll join. And I, I, my work is away from Austin, but I would, be, I would be trying my best if you guys offer this continuation of online presence. Yes. Yes. I'll try my best. <laughs> Thank you all. Thank you, Shirley. It's great to see you. Yes, this is, a, this is another of our logistical questions. How are we going to go forward with online and in-person, you know, uh, offerings? David, did you have your hand? You you look like you were waving. (laughs) Yes, but I didn't want to cut you off. Um, So that was wonderful. Thank you so much. Um, It really felt like, um, it felt like waves to me. Mm. rather than rambling 
Mm-hmm. Um, like waves of wisdom. So I don't know, maybe more, uh, maybe more pain meds for you. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that was really great. I really, there's so much in there. Um, so yes, first that, and thank you so much. And I also, I'm sure that, um, you know, um, sabbatical was good for you. So that's so great too. So, so we all are benefiting from, from that as well. So thank oh, that's you. That's the hope. That was definitely the hope. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, and I just want to say in terms of coming back, um, boy, I'm struggling. I'm so struggling with it. Not in terms of being with the community and the Sangha, not, not at all, but being with other people, being in close proximity, um, I, I, it causes incredible panic for me. It really does. And um, I'm just so torn and mm. saddened by it. And honestly, it is overwhelming. It feels like an overwhelming rush of everything. Like, I yes. want to do that. I want to be there. Yeah. This is important to me. I so miss being in the Zen. I miss taking off my shoes and feeling my feet on the wooden floor and walking to my cushion. I miss, you know, like all these sensation things, right? Um, um, and I'm also terrified about being in, in a group of people <laughs> uh, and, and not the people. It's not, of course, it's not the people. It's just the the conditions that we're all living in now. So I'm just, I, and, and I find that overwhelming. I really find it overwhelming that the, the, the conflict, I guess, mm. between wanting yeah. to do this, knowing that this is a welcome space and people I want to be with and a community I want to be around and also not feeling safe mm. and, um, yeah, in like a, a, in kind of a profound way, but, you know, recognizing that that's a story I'm telling myself and that's something I need to work through. Um, you know, yeah, I had. Yeah, the working through that, you know, David, I think that, you know, the working through that is to acknowledge and, and, you know, you can honor that and allow yourself to be a lurker for a while, you know? Don't feel pressure to like jump in and be there full force and be like sit in the front row and, you know, like let yourself lurk, you know, be let yourself sit close to the door. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. I think I may have interrupted you. you were no, it's all right. I was just going to say, I, um, I got together with a group of uh, three friends and, um, we, we call it our music club that saves the world. We talk about music and we're all, four musicians get together and, mm-hmm. um, uh, and uh, of the four of us, one had both vaccines and the other three had at least one dose. And we were outside in the backyard. Um, and when I got there, I was the only one wearing a mask. And I was like, oh, y'all aren't wearing masks. And they were like, you, you do what you're comfortable with. It's all good, but we feel comfortable not wearing masks. Well, okay, two days later, one of the guys had got COVID after he'd been, you know, had one dose. And um, now I wore my mask and I'm grateful I did. No one else, no no one of the other three got COVID. So we didn't, you know, spread it at that 
outdoor gathering where we were sitting, you know, we had distance between each other. But it was the the stress of that, of like, oh, do I have allergies right now or do I have COVID? Right. You know, and how grateful I was for my family that I wore my mask. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and et cetera, et cetera. It's just all that. It's all of that. So yeah. I, mm-hmm. I, I, yeah, <laughs> that's... Yeah, and it's going to be an individual. It's it's a completely individual experience of risk assessment and comfort and discomfort, right? Um, and there's something. There's really something to wearing masks as a even if you're, you know, you've had both vaccinations and it's been weeks, two weeks after, and you feel safe yourself. There's something about wearing a mask as a in solidarity with those who have not yet received vaccinations, right? To normalize it. So, you know, you were with good friends and they were able to say, oh, do it makes you feel comfortable, right? Of course, but without having to go through that negotiation, it could be like, this is a personal decision. I'm just going to wear a mask when I'm in public. You know, the other day I was taking a walk around the little park, uh, Central Park and noticed, cause I wasn't wearing a mask. So, you know, I was like, well, I'm not going to go in, into any store. You know, I was just going on a walk. There's nobody around. But I noticed some people walking down the path who were wearing masks. And it made me feel a little bit like, like you, like, like there's a self-consciousness around. Well, I don't want to, you know, make anyone feel uncomfortable either. Right. By my lack of mask wearing. Um the other day at the Earth Day preparations, I realized at some point that I was like the only person not wearing a mask. And I don't know what was going on there, but I like looked around and like everyone was wearing masks. I was like, oh no, I need to put my mask on. So yeah, we're going to be going through this um, together and individually. I appreciate your bringing that up. Any other thoughts? Thank you, Bill. I am very much looking forward to doing this <laughs> together. And just um, in case I didn't make it really clear, when we work together, it's so easy to get into conversations like, oh, well, how long have you been coming to the Zen Center? When did you start practicing? And I, you know, I don't want to be draconian about it, right? But there's a really deep, deep invitation to refrain from that and allow information and connection to flow in through non-intellectual channels, right? And you can see yourself creating stories about people if that you don't know. And just like to be able to watch those stories come and be like, wow, this is just like a story. It's like when we sit zazen and we face a wall and stuff comes up it's clearly not coming from what we're looking at. <laughs> it's coming from up here, right? It's our mind and our conditioning that creates the world. And so knowing that fully, we can take a step back and just enjoy the, the open-endedness, right? Open-endedness. I'm like, I don't really know. And that's something that we are, we allow ourselves that opportunity when we embrace that silence, you know, which again goes against the sort of the the, the niceties or the politenesses of uh, social interactions, right? So 
a lot of times when people, if people don't know that they're going to be going into a silent work period, they, they really get uncomfortable. This happens sometimes when we do our New Year's Eve uh, event where people come in and help clean the temple in silence. <laughs> and they're like, wait a minute, I thought this was a party. <laughs> no one's talking. <laughs> and we're being asked to like work. <laughs> All gifts. All gifts. All right. Well, if there's no other uh, expressions that anyone wants to offer, then I think we can end. Thank you all very much.